Well, since graduating from Otago University in the 1990s, agroecologist Nicole Masters has become one of the world's top soil experts. For the past seven years, she's been based in Montana, or Montana if you prefer, where she developed a successful consultancy and even has her own ranch. During COVID, Nicole made the decision to scale back her consultation business and refocus her attention on teaching. Her first course launched in the USA and now graduates uh, graduates of it manage more than 1.2 million acres of farmland. Now Nicole is preparing to bring her workshops to Aotearoa, kicking off with a Road to Regeneration event in Auckland this Sunday. She joins me now from Montana. Hi, Nicole. Hi, Jesse. Thanks for having me. Great to meet you. What an interesting life you've had so far and, and plenty more to come. Um, is it bad that Almost. I th- that I think of uh, Yellowstone as soon as I hear the words Montana? A lot of us are hooked on that show over here. Well, if you imagine the views that you see on that TV show, that is exactly where I live. Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah. Yeah, it is. It's wild. Paint us a bit but of a I picture. I came here before the TV show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm on the edge of Yellowstone, which is the second most biodiverse grassland in the world. And there's just this incredible life here. Like right now we have six bull elk that I can see out the window. Um, we do a couple of weeks ago, I saw a black bear when I was riding my horse Gosh. and there's coyotes and eagles, you name it. Like the life here is extraordinary. How did you end up there? Um, I, I came here in 2013. I was invited to speak at an event and there was like 600 cowboys. And I was like, you people are real. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and I never had to advertise again. It just seemed like there's been such huge interest in my work, which is far more than just soil. You know, it's really how do we connect all the dots for ecosystem function and well-being of farming or ranching enterprises. And yeah, I just, I started spending more and more time here and just fell in love with the lifestyle and the rocks and yeah. Gosh. So you are technically an agroecologist. Can you tell us a bit about what that means? Yeah. So an agroecologist really looks at food production systems through an ecological lens. You know, how how do we work with nature in order to have, you know, microbiology do the work for us so that we're not having to put a whole lot of inputs into the system and we really encourage biodiversity. And when we have a system that works like that, we get more efficient at capturing free sunlight energy, then we don't need to be spending the same amount of money. So what we see is on average people following this approach are about 80% more profitable. And people listening in New Zealand who don't live on farms, who have no experience of farming, will be thinking, well, that sounds pretty obvious. Why aren't all the farmers yeah. in New Zealand switching to this way of doing things? So so why don't they do it that way in your view? And what's what's gone wrong if something has gone wrong with the farming system here in New Zealand? Well, it's interesting because New Zealand is the second highest user of fertilizer in the world. And yet we're in this incredible temperate rain-fed ecosystem. Like it, it's always blown my mind. And it was actually the topic of my master's thesis that I didn't finish because I got busy writing a book. Yeah. And um, I, in that, my discovery really was how much of these structural systems kind of are keeping these 
input-based, fertilizer-based systems in place. And so where do we get our trusted information from? And that might be universities or research centers or the fertilizer providers. And it, and it really just keeps this train rolling. And if we look at it, you know, farmers are not any more spectacularly profitable than they were before 2001 when the big dairy boom came in. Um, and so I think, yeah, I, I think the farmers themselves are a little bit in, in uh, like the system works against them in terms of keeping keeping inputs going on. Um, and so, you know, we've been talking about this for a long time in New Zealand. I've worked with farmers that have, you know, reduced their inputs down to less than 10% of what the average is. And yet people will tell them you can't do that. You know, there's this real big push in New Zealand to say this isn't possible. And my call is get interested in the outliers, get interested in people that are doing things that doesn't seem possible because you can run a high output dairy production system without all the inputs. What goes wrong? What happens when you use a lot of fertilizer? There's a couple of very interesting things. I mean, you can kind of think about it. I I often talk about soil as being like the human gut system. You know, you have a whole digestive system and that is your microbiology. So if we are feeding that system a lot of synthetic inputs, then it changes that microbiome. It changes the types of microbiology in there that then require a system that is putting on nitrogen, for instance, or putting on phosphorus. And one of the other things that we start to see is with the addition of nitrogen fertilizers, which I, I guess most of your listeners are fairly familiar with the amount that we're putting on in New Zealand, is it collapses soil structure. So then we end up with soils that don't breathe. They're not very well aggregated. And so just like you and I, you know, our number one factor that we need to live is air. We need to be able to breathe. And it's the same with soil. If soils aren't able to breathe, well, now all these systems start to collapse. So what we see is within a couple of weeks, New Zealand soils can be drying up if it hasn't rained, or we see flash flooding events, or we see the, these compacted soils require 10 times the amount of nitrogen to get the same response as a soil that that wasn't compacted. So it's kind of this vicious cycle because you're putting on nitrogen to grow grass, and then that means you need more nitrogen. So it puts farmers on a treadmill. What does a better system look like and and how hard would it be for your average New Zealand dairy farmer to switch to it? Um, Well, I personally think it's very simple. I think the biggest shift is the one that happens, um, as Doug Avery likes to say, in your top baddock between your ears. Mm -hmm. Um, But really we see um, dairy farmers able to transition pretty quickly. It Really it comes down to am I feeding my microbiology? Am I you know, really empowering the underground workforce to do that work, to kick in that natural nitrogen cycle, um, to to release bound phosphorus, all of these different um, aspects is really just coming back to how do I feed microbiology, getting diversity into the system, and that might be diversity of plants, um, diversity of biological foods as such, and then start to see these soils um, loosen up, become more aggregated and... Yeah, and then your nitrogen cycle starts to work, but then also your water cycle starts to work. So, you know, I really think that farming doesn't stop at the farm gate. You know, this is a societal issue. What we do on the land impacts everybody. Um, And I I feel like we're seeing more and more of attention coming back into farming in terms of what other things that we can do. 
I guess if someone comes along to one of your courses or workshops, a lot of that work in the top paddock is done. They must at least be open-minded about a mindset shift. Yeah. Yeah. And I have to catch myself because sometimes I feel like I'm in an echo chamber because I spend so much time with incredibly innovative farmers and ranchers that are really thinking outside the box and and potentially um, that might be who comes to workshops. But I've just done a series of workshops in the UK and we had predominantly what I guess you call conventional farmers coming to that event. So I think even if you're not sure about what your next steps are coming to a workshop like this. Um, just every, I mean, I think all farmers value soil health. They just don't necessarily know how do I assess, how do I tell if my soil is healthy, and then what are some simple things I can do without dropping yield or creating more problems further down the line. Um, I don't need to tell you that some people are suspicious of a uh, a so-called regenerative approach to farming. Uh, just reading a um, an opinion piece here by a popular um, spokesperson for the other side, Jacqueline Roweth. Um, she says, mm. actual results from research are showing that a regenerative approach in New Zealand reduces food production and increases greenhouse gases per kg of product. It sometimes does both. The concept that a regenerative approach will increase soil carbon, thereby sequestering carbon from the atmosphere, has not been shown to be successful. New Zealand soils are very high in carbon in comparison with other countries, and she goes on. Are you familiar with these uh, objections to some of your theories? You haven't talked much about carbon sequestration, but I presume that's part of your picture. Well, I think it's not just having one narrow focus. I also think um, with a lot of these arguments, it comes down to following the money, and also bringing our curiosity. So what I see a lot in, in New Zealand, particularly with researchers, is this whole, it's not possible, it's not possible, instead of really getting interested with what farmers are doing on the ground. So I would propose that research is probably 20 or 30 years behind these innovative farmers, and it's an invitation to get interested instead. And that's what good research is. Like a good scientist wouldn't say, no, something's not possible. They get really curious. Um, and that that's why we're working with a lot of really, really brilliant researchers who actually genuinely are curious because this does solve so many of the biggest challenges that New Zealand's facing right now. Um, yeah, and, and particularly I think in the dairy industry when you look at some of the farmers that have been doing this close to 20 years is go and find out what they're doing, go and take a look and, um, and not just think about carbon as in this very shallow kind of two-dimensional space. You know, when soils build, they build deep down through that soil profile. You know, we hear this, uh, I think it's a myth myself that New Zealand soils are carbon saturated. Um, and it's like, well, how, sh how shallow are these soils? And a lot of New Zealand soils are surprisingly shallow um, because they haven't been in grasslands for thousands of years like other soils I work on are. And it's like, well, can we grow that carbon much, much deeper down through the profile? What do your workshops look like, your soil resilience workshops? They look like a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> I say that. Um, but yeah, they're, they're very practical focus. Um, we really um, build someone's observation so that people can be able to to assess is something working well as my system going forwards or backwards for themselves instead of relying on outside expertise or a scientist to tell them what's possible. It's like, well, this, and this is what I love about regenerative, the regenerative approach. It's very much a 
a bottom up in terms of what producers have been doing on the ground and have been doing for a long time. And so someone coming into this workshop can, you know, dig holes and really deepen their understanding of what's going on below the ground, you know, not only from a mineral perspective, but microbiology, um, organic matter, what are plants trying to tell you, you know, being able to read plant indicators is so powerful. I think a lot of people would probably think of them as weeds, but you know, what are some of these less desirable plants trying to tell you about your management or your inputs? And um, I think that's what attracts, you know, some people to come along is, is just really going to deepen your ability to observe and read a landscape. Great stuff. Um, Do you think you'll come back Nicole or or are you staying in, uh, staying in uh, Montana now? Um, I think I will stay here in Montana. Um, it, not being able to swim in some of my local rivers or fish has just been so heartbreaking. And so for me, this is kind of my piece in it. So I, I can't see myself living in New Zealand again soon, but uh, yeah. Well, I, thanks I for um, maintaining an interest in the country and for uh, visiting and sharing what you've learned. Nice to chat to you today. Nice to chat to you too, Jesse. Thanks so much. Uh, Auckland this Sunday for the Road to Regeneration event, then 16th and 17th of November in the Waikato and 23rd and 24th in Timaru.